Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. Heavenly Father, we love the Word of God, and we ask for you to open our ears, open our eyes. We would have soft hearts to your Word. I ask, Lord, for a soft heart, and I ask for your anointing that we could hear your voice as I speak. Come, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I am going to, we're going to chapter 4 of the book of Revelation. This is where... uh, John steps up into the heavenlies and begins to see the events of the last days. There's no question what's happening. We looked at the letters to the seven churches, and we we saw something about them, but I I moved quickly through the letters to the seven churches. Now we're at chapter 4, and John will be caught right up into the heavenlies and see the heavenly throne room. To understand the book of Revelation, you've got to understand several sections of the Old Testament. You simply don't get it if you don't know your Old Testament. So I'm going to, first of all, I'm going to take you to the, to a vision that Daniel had in 553 BC. He had a vision of the heavenly throne room in which God takes his seat and, and makes the decision to bring human history to an end. Chapter four of the book of Revelation is exactly that same event. John sees the same thing Daniel saw, same situation, but fills in more details. We see more details, but the same event in Revelation 4 as what Daniel brought forth in chapter 7. Then I'm going to apply, I want to take one particular part of this and say, how does it apply to our own hearts? What do we see in this that touches our own lives? And that will... We'll look at that. Let's start with our discussion guide. Through the prophet Isaiah, God said, My ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Meaning, in part, he sees all of life from a perspective far above ours. Every time we read the Bible, we find ourselves challenged to think bigger than we normally do. And nowhere in the Bible is our perspective forced to rise more than in the book of Revelation. Here we are lifted up into the heavenly realm and shown God's perspective on the world, even to the point of showing us the spiritual forces at work behind it. The view is humbling. We can only stand amazed because the heart of God is certainly different from ours. We'll see that today. In today's lesson, we are carried into heaven where we are allowed to watch the moment when God as judge commands this era of human history to come to an end, that all human government cease. Now, in the moment of, middle of a political campaign season, aren't, won't that be wonderful? <laughs> no more attack ads, no more signs in your front yard. Uh, man. Maranatha, Lord. <laughs> And that every element of the universe will be destroyed. It literally will be melted with heat. Uh, Peter could not be clearer as to what's going to happen. And in the process, we'll discover why God patiently waited 
so many centuries before he decided to bring this final verdict. Now we're going to start in Daniel chapter 7. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Daniel 7. Daniel is in exile. He is one of the, he is one of the uh, noble families of, of Israel. And when captured by the Babylonians, he was captured. They, the Babylonians actually attacked on three major occasions. And he was taken early on, taken to Babylon, and recognized to be so intelligent, so gifted, that they trained him and put him into government service in the Babylonian government. Then through, this, through his, his prophetic insight and his great integrity, he, rose, he became one of, the, one of the leaders, actually. The, he governed over the province of Babylon, very similar to Joseph. He's, he's a remarkable man. Uh, Daniel is, is, is uh, just a, an incredible uh, prophet and, and man of, in his own right. So he has this vision at, <clears throat> as the emperor... Nebuchadnezzar dies and his son takes over and his son is, is, a, is a debauched man uh, and this is the prophecy that Daniel sees verse 1 of chapter 7 in the first year of Belshazzar king of Babylon Daniel saw a dream and visions in his mind as he lay on his bed and then he wrote down the dream and related the following summary of it Daniel said I was looking in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. Uh, if those are symbolic, the, the winds would represent the, this storm wind on this sea. So you've got, you've got uh, turmoil, you've got war going, and the sea being the peoples of the earth. So the earth is stirred up, and these beasts begin to emerge. Four great beasts were coming from, up from the sea, different from one another. It's interesting to note that God's view of these, of these, of these empires is that they, are, they have the heart of a beast. Isn't that interesting? That's how he views these, these governments. The first was like a lion and had the wings of an eagle. This first kingdom is Babylon, in which Daniel is in at the, as he writes this. It was a very swift and a very powerful uh, empire. When their, their armies went to war, they, 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 all of those things were true of them. But look what it goes on to say. And I kept looking until its wings were plucked, and it was made, lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man, and a human mind was also given to it. So this, this empire gets transformed. Well, what happened? How many of you remember the account of Nebuchadnezzar? What happened to him? Remember, he, was, uh, he had this empire and all. And then at one point, he looked over his city, Babylon, and said, Oh, what a mighty city that I have made for my, 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 for my glory. And he'd already been warned. And at that point, the Lord touched him, and his mind was taken from him. He went insane. And they put him out in the backyard. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, at like, like Fido. And 
they put a you know collar around him, I think, and and let him run to the back. And his his fingernails grew long, his hair grew like feathers, and he he, he was literally uh, mad, running around for seven years, uh, sleeping out in, in the in under the dew, wet with dew, all of this. And then the Lord touched him and brought his mind back. At which point he, we actually have it recorded, a document which he gave and said he said. I now acknowledge that the God of heaven is the only true God and is the one who sets. He was humbled and broken and began to worship the true God. So notice what Daniel says. This thing starts out as a beast, but is suddenly lifted up and put on its feet and given the mind of a man, for he became, he became a, a, a believer in the living God. All right. Verse 5, and behold, another beast, a second one, resembling a bear. Now he's going to talk about the, this is a chronology. It go, uh, the first three of them go right forward in order from Babylon to Medo-Persia uh, in, in the empires which su succeeded one another. And behold, a beast, and the second one resembling a bear, and it was raised up on one side. Between the Medes and the Persians, half of them were, the one half was powerful and the other half was weaker. And so it's raised, this thing is up on one, half of it's strong and half of it's weak. And three ribs were in its mouth. It actually had conquered three major kingdoms, uh, were in its mouth between its teeth. And thus they said, they said to it, arise and devour much meat. Human life was cheap to the Medo-Persians. They butchered folk and uh, did some horrible things we won't describe. After this, I kept looking. And behold, another one, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird, and the beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. This is Alexander the Great and the Greek Empire. This young man, Alexander, spread his empire almost, wasn't it clear, to India just about? And at, at the height of the whole thing, he got stinking drunk and went out and, 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 and blacked out in the rain, in the cold rain somewhere out of the, um, there in, I think in, well, never mind, I won't try to name where it was. And he got pneumonia and died. Right at the height of his power, he's a young man, a whole bit, he dies in a, in a drunk in the rain. And uh, so they divided his empire among four, his four generals. And I give you the regions that, that it was divided into. And that's what it, the four heads there that you see are. And it had, a, it had a season. I give you the years. After this, I kept looking. Now, a lot of people take this next one to be Rome. I don't. I believe that this now steps forward, and I think it's actually indisputable. It steps forward to the last kingdom. After this, I kept looking. And in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast... All right, I, this is the Antichrist's kingdom at the end of time. Dreadful and terrifying and extremely strong, and it had large iron teeth, so it's tearing and, and, and killing. It devoured and crushed and trampled down the remainder with its feet. If it doesn't kill you, it dominates you. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. While I was contemplating the horns, behold, another horn, a little one, came up among them, and three of the first horns were pulled out by the roots before it, and behold, the horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. We'll come back to this other times, but I'll just tell you in brief what, the, what he just said. The Antichrist kingdom will, become a, will be at its center a ten-nation confederacy. The Antichrist is not a natural king. Whoever he is, this little, he's the little horn. He rises up and he takes over three nations. Notice, pulls it out by the roots. 
something violent, probably taking the entire family. It didn't just cut it off. He pulls it out by the roots, taking, I imagine, the entire family and annihilating them and becomes the ruler of three. Seven others are in league with him and you have now a ten-nation, ten-horn thing that is the center and they then dominate the world. That's what it just said. In the middle of this, it says, this horn possessed eyes like the eyes of a man and a mouth uttering great boasts. Satan will have come down and will, in, will incarnate himself in this man uh, in, a, in, a, in a vile imitation of the incarnation. The, the, Satan comes down and becomes in complete control of a man. And what it will do, the boasts that he makes are blasphemy. He will declare himself God. Jesus gives us that very thing. He says, here's the abomination of desolation. Here's what you watch for. Here's the trigger event. When you see this man take his place in the temple and declare himself God, he said, I don't even want you to get your coat. <laughs> I want you to run. He said, because it will unleash the worst persecution the world has ever seen. So here's, here's all of this going on. A mouth uttering great boast. And then we get the picture of this throne room. Verse 9. I kept looking until thrones were set up. Notice it's plural. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Who's the Ancient of Days? God the Father is the Ancient of Days. Ancient of Days is an is a, um, uh, oriental poetry, a way of saying old man. Uh, my own children have uh, used <laughs> the phrase ancient one. Um, now, here it's a, it's a title of honor. You owe oh, ancient one, you know. Uh, and it refers to, so this, this, this one who has lived from eternity and will live into eternity future. This ancient one takes his seat and his vesture. Now he's radiating that light of which holiness does. There's a light to holiness. And so he's just shining like the sun. And, and, and here's Daniel describes it that his, his robes were like white snow and his hair were like pure wool. And the throne was a flame with was ablaze with flames. It's just just bursting with this with this energy of, of the light of the Holy Spirit. And his its wheels were a burning fire. Uh, Ezekiel saw the wheels on this throne. And at this point um, I think for Ezekiel, it was that the throne of God would come back to Jerusalem. He who had abandoned them would come back. He was mobile and has wheels on his throne. He'd come back. And a river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him and myriads upon myriads were standing before him. So you have an enormous crowd and the court sat and the books were opened. Would you say that last phrase? The court sat... And the books were opened. Notice it's a courtroom. Thrones have been set up. The court sits. And the books. And I'll tell you another time what those books are. The books are opened. Now, Daniel will go on, goes on to say, Then I kept looking because the sound of the boastful words which the horn was speaking. So hear this down on earth. You have this, while this is going on in heaven, this blasphemy is going on on planet earth. And I kept looking until the beast was slain and his body was destroyed and given to the burning flames, i.e. the lake of fire. That's Revelation 19 there, verse 11. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away but an extension of life was granted to them for an appointed period of time. I think that's Revelation 20. I think that's the millennium. And I kept looking in the night visions 
and behold, with the clouds of heaven. Here's this, I, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to comment on this as deeply as it, this is just absolutely fabulous. You've got this throne room, and then Daniel, as he's watching this, sees this happen. One like a son of man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days. So, in, in, as, as Daniel's watching this great throne, a human being walks up to the throne. And to him, and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Who's that? When Caiaphas asked him, he said, if you are the Son of God, declare it. And Jesus' answer was, Behold, you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great glory. I'm that guy. <laughs> Caiaphas grabbed his robe from the top and ripped it, which is what you did when you were in the presence of blasphemy. And he said, Blasphemy! Do we need to hear more? They crucified Jesus for blasphemy. He declared himself to be that divine son of man who walked up and into whom eternal government was given. I believe it. Hallelujah, don't you? Praise the Lord. All right. That's the picture. You have to know that picture to understand what we're going to see now in the book of Revelation chapter 4. Let's go to Revelation. Chapter 4, verse 1. John says, after these things, metatauta is the Greek. The book of Revelation is divided up. The Lord says to him, I want you to write down what you have seen, the great vision of Jesus, the triumphant Lord. That, the things which are, the letters to the seven churches, really describing the entire church age. I, I, those are seven specific churches, but this whole season... But after these things, when this season of history comes to an end, metatauta, here's, John is caught up now to see this final season. I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here and I will show you what must, must take place after these things. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. Now, but what, I, what I understand that to mean is the power of the Holy Spirit hit him to the point that he is overwhelmed. Probably he's flat on the floor, and he is seeing at visions and hearing the voices in the spiritual realm. He is, he, is, he is spiritually now, those senses are dominant. Whether he can see or know where he is, I don't have any idea, but this is what he's seeing and hearing. And behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. You tell me who's sitting on the throne. No. And, and the, Daniel called him the? Yeah, see this? We're in that same throne room. We're seeing the same thing Daniel saw. Throne is set up, and there's one sitting on it. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone. 
Now, a jasper for us is kind of a cloudy stone, but I give you a reference there, and John sees it as crystal clear. It's like glass or like diamond. So it's just brilliant, white, clear, white stone reflecting white light. I mean, clear stone reflecting white light. And a sardius, that's blood red in appearance. So you've got this beautiful sparkling white and flashes of red in it, apparently. And there was a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance, an emerald being soft green. So the thing is, he thinked the throne and the Lord, our God, is, are emanating this light like a green rainbow around it. Why it's green, I have no idea, but it's very pretty. All right. Around the throne were 24 thrones. Remember what Daniel said? I saw a throne set, and thrones were set up, plural, right? Well, now you know how many. 24. And upon those thrones, oh, we get to find out who's sitting on the thrones. 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments, meaning their sins have been forgiven them, and gold crowns on their head, meaning they're given governing authority. Do human beings get governing authority? Could they? Everybody's waiting to say, you commit and we'll answer. <laughs> yeah, the promise is, and I, in fact, I'll show you as we get into, as we continue on in Revelation, you, in fact, Daniel will say, and the government of all of this will be given to the saints of the highest one. You. It's amazing what's planned for us. So they have crowns and they have white robes. Who are they? I think I know. I think there's 12 of them that represent the old covenant. People sometimes ask in their minds, you know, were people really saved before Jesus came? I've, heard, I've met people who kind of worry about that and wonder about that. Absolutely. They were saved by faith just like you are. And so when we get to heaven, you're going to, you're going to have their Moses and Joshua and Deborah and Sarah. And everybody's going to be there, who, men and women of faith of the old covenant. And so I think these, I'm not going to say they're the patriarchs, they, you know, the, the 12 tribes. They, I mean, I don't think Simeon and Levi are going to sit on those thrones. No way. Uh, but they will be representatives of the old covenant. And then the 12 on the other side, I think, are going to be the representatives of the new covenant. And what you have here now is the family of God, old and new covenant, all of us united. Remember, Paul says we've been grafted into an olive tree. So we're joined into this tree of faith. We are all one family. Now, you, you look at me like, that's a little far-fetched. Where do you get that stuff? All right, go with me because I'm going to prove it and then you'll be sorry. Uh, <laughs> Revelation chapter 21. Nah, you're going to see this and go, oh man, he's right. Unbelievable. Verse 12, chapter 21, verse 12. Here John is describing the heavenly Jerusalem. The thing is 1,500 uh, miles square. It's an, it's an, it's, and it comes down from heaven onto this new renewed earth. And it, by the way, King James says it's a city four square. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. And uh, it, verse 12 says, It had great high wall with 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and the names written on them, which are the names of the, you tell me, 
12 tribes of the sons of Israel. So you have represented living in this city the men and women of Israel who have loved the Lord and waited for their Messiah and confessed their sins. Amen. And then it says, verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundation stones and on them were the 12 names of the? 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have there the leaders of the church. So you've got, you've got the, the, the family of God, Old Covenant and New, all being represented. I think that's what the 12 thrones are. I think you've got representatives uh, counseling with him, as it were, uh, in, this, in this judgment. All right, back to chapter 4. Out from the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Symbols of a coming storm. God's judgment is coming. Ezekiel saw that storm. John sees it as well. The throne that's being set up now, there's a storm brewing. The judgment of God is on its way. But so is something else. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. I've already, we've already seen those seven lamps, those seven lampstands. Remember that? The great menorah that was present in the tabernacle. And so here the Holy Spirit is, we're being reminded that, of the symbol of the menorah as it is associated with the Holy Spirit. And in the tabernacle, it's a promise of light. Not just physical light, spiritual light. You had in the tabernacle a table that had bread on it. God promises us bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, we can also pray, Lord, give us this day our daily light, our revelation, our guidance, our counsel. We need your wisdom, Lord. We're promised that. So coming with the storm of judgment is also the promise of revelation. To he who has ears to hear and eyes to see, God will show us these things. And before the throne, there was something like a sea of glass. The throne is placed, apparently, on just a, a, a layer of crystal clear surface. It seems like it extends to the horizon, this sea of glass. People do all sorts of things with it and saying what it means symbolically, and those are very nice. I just think it's part of the architecture of heaven. And look down at your feet for a minute. You see your feet? Your resurrected feet are going to stand on that sea of glass. Is that cool or what? In fact, you might well dance on that sea of glass. We're going to be part of those worshiping and celebrating before the Lord. You will be there. You're going to stand on that sea of glass. It's described by several prophets. So I just think it's the architecture of heaven. I think it's there. Then it says... And in the center, so as, as John scans this great panorama that he's seeing of heaven, in the center of it all is the throne of God. And around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first creature was like a lion. The second creature like a calf. The third creature had the face like that of a man. And the fourth creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. Day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty. Who are they? Thank you for asking. Yes. 
people come up with all kinds of suggestions, and, and, and there's, there's a number of them good. Um, one says, well, the, they represent the higher creatures of, of the earth, uh, there before God, glorifying him. So you have the lion representing wild animals. You have the ox or the young bullock uh, representing uh, domesticated animals. You've got man and you've got the flying birds. Now, you don't have fish. You kind of need fish in there, I would think. But, uh, but you can only have four, so you left fish out. Um, it's a nice idea. That might be true. And it would, it, those are cer that's certainly true that all creation does give glory to God. Some say it represents attributes about God. It's expressing who he is. As a lion, he is noble. As an ox, he is strong. As, a, as, a, as a, an eagle, he is swift to deliver. Uh, and that is how it's used uh, in the book of Exodus and all, and, and later on in Revelation. Like an eagle, he bears us up on his wings. Um, as a man... The, the, the way that one goes says it is wisdom. Now, I couldn't find a verse that said man was wise, but uh, there must be some somewhere. It encourages us to be wise, certainly, over and over again. Um, so that might be true, too. As I looked at it, I see something that I think is remarkable. And, and, and here's what I see there. You'll notice that there, as you flow down it, you've got a lion... And a, and a calf, mine says, or a young bull, which is, was a sacrificial animal. It was one of the most common sacrificial animals, um, probably as, as much as, as a lamb. So in effect, you have the lion and the lamb, or the young calf. And then you have a man and an eagle. In my opinion, you have the essentials of the gospel that have been proclaimed, that these creatures have in their very being the essentials of the gospel, which was planned from the foundations of the earth. Jesus Christ is the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is the rightful ruler. But he became a lamb for us. He became a, a sacrificial, a sacrifice, a, a young bull, a calf. He died in our place. The ruler died on our behalf. That's what we celebrate at Easter. The man and the eagle. Here, we, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became the Son of Man. He came from heaven and joined us in our human flesh. He is man and he is also divine. The eagle, it's odd to have the eagle in there. It's not a clean bird. Why would you have it? It's expressing the eagle who flies up into heaven and has come, you know, soars and comes. So you have caught here the, 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 the wonder of Christmas, the incarnation that the heavenly Son of God became a man and dwelt among us. He is the eagle and the man. He is the lion and the lamb. They're both there. They're all there declaring Christ in their very being. Now, We've looked at the heavenly throne room. We see this turmoil going on on Earth's planet, on the planet Earth. And you ask, why did he wait so long? I mean, have you ever wished he'd come back and get, it, get this mess over with? Uh, we, 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 we suffer in all of this. You look at all of the sin and the suffering and the things that are going on on this planet. And you, you wonder, 
why do you wait so long? Why did it wait clear till that point where he sets up his throne and comes back? Um, we wish you'd come and get us. I want, I want to answer that because as we come up and look at this moment, it tells you something about the heart of God. And I believe the reason the Lord delayed is because of his love. It's because he loves people. Would you say with me, God loves people. Say it again. God loves... I mean, he really does love people. When he made us, it says that he made us in Genesis 1, that he made us in his image. And what that means is you are a person as he is a person. You are spirit as he is spirit. Now, you have a beginning. He had none. But you now... Relate to him as one friend to another, as one person to another. You can talk to him. You can, he has emotions and a will and a mind. You have emotions and a will and a mind. You've been made like God to know him person to person. Why did he do that? What was his point? Why would he make us like that? For fellowship. There is only one explanation. You've been made to love the Lord and to be loved by him. You've been made for him. And then the, the first command he gives his, 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 his Adam and Eve is this. Be fruitful and multiply. Say that. Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, I want lots of babies. I want lots of people. He loves people. When a child is born, I don't care the circumstances, when a child is born... God rejoices. He celebrates. He is delighted. Your parents may have, it may have been painful for Mormon. They didn't celebrate you, but he did. He was delighted to have you. You see, we don't know how to process so many people. We're not God. So we get overwhelmed by numbers. But God doesn't. He doesn't see numbers. He sees you. He sees every one of us as individuals. He has all the time to relate to you. He has all the heart to relate to every one of us as if we were an only child. In my generation, something terrible has taken place. And I blame it on particularly one book. When I was in college, I think it was, a man came out with a book by the name of, uh, his name is Paul Ehrlich, and it was called The Population Bomb. And it was a scare book that said, we're having too many people. We're, we're, they're growing so fast that one of these days, we're going to run out of food and we're all going to starve. The sky is falling. <laughs> and in fact, Paul Ehrlich said that when the earth comes around 7 billion, he said, I believe we will have reached the carrying capacity of the planet. And the whole thing has gone up. You know how many we have today? Six and a half billion, so get your, get your food at the grocery store, quickly. <laughs> the lights are going out any moment now. Our, my generation's response to this was, uh-oh, we better do something. And so we just began to promote birth control like crazy. We began to scold people that had too many children. I remember standing one time in a mall in, in San Francisco, and some lady came up to me and said, are those all yours? I said, yes. She said, what are you thinking? I said, what? And she said, three children. How many do you need? I thought, I'd love four or five. I was actually. (laughs) 
He has some quotes in here. This, this one cranky old man, I just love this, from, from, uh, from Princeton University of all things. Listen, listen to this old toad. He says, <laughs> I won't name him. The world does not need more people, and the U.S., in my judgment, does not need more people either, and certainly does not need 100 million more. That's what we're going to have. We've already jumped from 1967 to now. We've jumped 100 million. We're going to jump 100 million between now and, 19, and 2043, I guess. He says, what is the benefit in terms of quality of life? More cars, more congestion, more pollution? Someone in my parking place. <laughs> he doesn't say that, but he should have. <laughs> All right. It says in this article, there have been 106 billion people that have lived on this planet. We have six and a half billion right now. And the thought there is, well, we're going to run out of food. What it's based on is called Malthus it's Malth a Malthusian theory. He was a biologist. I was pre-medicine. I've done Malthusian experiments. You take a Petri plate as a little glass dish and you put this ugly jello-like stuff in it. Uh, and then you put a certain amount of nutrition in it. And then you put your little bacteria colony on it and put the cap on. And you put it in an incubator and you let the bacteria in it grows while it has all its food. And then it runs out of food and it dies off. <laughs> it's a sine curve. And he says that's what's going to happen to this planet. Like a bunch of bacteria, we're going to eat the place dry. And then there's going to be nothing left. We're all starved. And we're doing it. There it goes. My generation bought this, and I believe it is one of the major things behind the abortion drive. You keep thinking, what is wrong with these people? Why is it so important to them to abort children? Have they got a problem? They're afraid. They buy it. And they believe they have to stop this flood of these babies, even if they have to kill them. And so you have this insane thing on abortion, birth control, children are bad, look out. Do you know what's happening as the population grows? It went up 100 million in just the last couple decades. Do you know that the amount of poverty is declining rapidly? The amount of starvation is declining? It isn't going up. It's going down. The quality of life is improving dramatically for people around the world. More people actually is a better quality of life. And of course, since God wanted more people, you knew he'd provide. Because the point is, you're not bacteria. Turn to your neighbor and say, hallelujah. I, hear, <laughs> I knew I'd hear something positive today. You're not bacteria. You're not some mindless little thing growing along. God has made us capable of creativity. And God, in fact, is willing to inspire us and guide us. Many of our scientific breakthroughs came from praying people. And so we're able to go into a desert with drip irrigation and turn it into a fertile, gorgeous farmland. We're able to go to the oceans and take red algae, seaweed, and turn it into food. We're able to go places and do things and have fish farms. Rather than just fishing everything out, we start raising them. What a novel idea. So there's more food now, not less. There's more food today, not less than there was. Isn't that interesting? Though we have grown that rapidly. Be fruitful and multiply. Listen to me. I'm trying to capture something. God loves people. The more, the merrier. It's why he made you. So what's he waiting for? 
Why didn't he come back 50 years ago? How many of you would have made it if he'd come back 50 years ago? Quite a few in this service. <laughs> would I have made it? No, I, I wouldn't have made it by a few years, but I'm close. Aren't you glad he waited? How many are glad want him to wait for your children? How many of you would like him to wait for your grandchildren? You'd like him to wait a little bit so they come to know him and have their life. Or maybe some aren't even born yet, but you know they will be. Do you know he knows the names of those? The Bible tells us quite clearly there, God knows exactly how many people are going to come. He knows every one of them. That does not mean that he is predestining, but he knows who will come. Look with me at Romans chapter 8. I want you to see something. Romans 8, verse 29. Paul says, For whom, those whom he foreknew, say foreknew. Yeah, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. He said, I, I, he knows who will come to him, and his command is, you are going to become like my son Jesus, so that Jesus will be the firstborn, the eldest brother of many brethren. All of us will become like him. He foreknew. He knew who would come. Now turn, I want you to see one more verse, sorry. Second uh, Peter, which is after Hebrews, Hebrews James, 1st and 2nd Peter, chapter 3. Peter's asking the question, or has been asked the question, why did he wait so long? Why didn't he come sooner? And he says, if you think it's because he's not willing to judge evil, you get another thing coming. He said, remember back to what he did to the earth with Noah? He flooded the place out. Well, he said he'll, he isn't going to flood it again, but he, next time he's going to burn it with heat right down to its very elements. He will destroy this universe. This universe we're on gets burnt up and a new one is made. And then he says this in verse 8. Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day, meaning he could care less about what the time is. When people do things with the book of Revelation and prophecy, they often are tying it to dates. I mean, in my recollection, Jesus came, was to come back in 1996, wasn't it? And then 1988, wasn't it 88 reasons why he's coming back in 88? And then, boy, when I was younger, I don't know how, he came back in 71, 73, 75, if I recall. Yeah. And there were, yeah, we had biblical reasons because, you know, absolutely, Israel's formed here on this day, and then generation is this, and we add it up, and men love to do this stuff. We calculate stuff. I want to propose to you today, I don't believe it has anything to do with a date. I think that's all malarkey. He's not waiting for a date. What is he waiting for? The very last person. He knows her name. He's waiting for her. She may not have been born yet. Maybe not for a hundred years. But he'll wait. Because he loves. See, it's not about, it's not about numbers. It's not about a mass of people. 
This God's a lover. And he's waiting for her. And he won't close the door until she's in. Verse 9. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you. Not, say, read those last lines with me. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Read that again. Not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. He's waiting. He's waiting for the last ones to come in. Evil will grow, however, to a point where he has to come. Evil is growing now. You can see it. It's horrible, isn't it? Just seems like things go from bad to worse, and it's not just here. It's around the world, it seems. There are wonderful things happening in pockets, but there's this, this rising tide, and you can just feel it swell. And there's a point at which evil will force it. it the, the world will come to a place where people either love Jesus Christ and they'll die for him or hate his guts and are slaughtering his people. It will come into two camps like that. We're headed that way. It's as though God takes the earth and wrings it like a towel to the last souls out. It will not go on forever. You say, well, if he's just waiting for souls and look how many are coming in now and they're coming in wonderfully. People are, just so many people are coming to Christ every day all over the world. But that will not keep it happening. He says, labor while it is yet day, for night cometh when no man labors. A night is coming. But evil will grow to a point where God must bring this era to an end, and only God knows this moment. Matthew 24, verse 36, Jesus says, the Son of Man doesn't know. Angels don't know. Writers of Christian books don't know. He doesn't say that, but he would have read it. He only known. He said, only the Father knows. And that's what we just saw today. As we looked at Daniel 7 and Revelation 4, we looked into the throne room and we saw the moment when the Ancient of Days takes his seat. And he says, now. And the end begins. And as we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to see the process by which he brings this earth to an end and gives dominion to one like a son of man, Jesus Christ, who will be Lord forever and ever. His dominion is without end. Hallelujah. For, some, for most of us in this room, I would trust, we are looking forward to that day. We can hardly wait. We looked at our feet and we said, we're going to stand on that sea of glass. Some of us are going to dance on it. We're looking forward to seeing Jesus. He's, when that sky opens up and he returns, it's the best news in the world to us. But that's because we have repented and believed. We have given our lives to Jesus Christ. He's our Lord and Savior and we welcome him and we wait for his return. As you listen to this message today, you can decide for yourself whether you believe the Bible, whether you think this is truth. But you see, there is a clear promise of eternal life for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And I just want to give an opportunity right now. 
If anybody is ready and says, you know, I've never made that step. I've never made that choice personally. You may have been in church longer than I have. That doesn't mean you've made a choice. You need to make a decision for Jesus Christ. And that can be today if you're ready. I'll lead you in a prayer and here's what we're going to do. We're going to repent. And that doesn't mean say, I'm sorry for all these bad things I've done. I trust you are, but that's not the point. What you repent of is independence from God. Living your life without the Jesus Christ. Living independently. Deciding right for wrong for yourself. You're going to submit if you repent. You remember how Adam and Eve in the garden, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil means who decides what good and who, what's evil? Well, they reached up and they said, we will. And they took the fruit. If you're going to be saved, you've got to put the fruit back on the tree. You've got to let Jesus be your Lord. You've got to let him decide right from wrong. You've got to surrender to him and trust him again. That's repentance. And the other part of it is faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean intellectual faith that says, yeah, I think he got crucified. I even think he rose from the dead. Big deal. That won't save you. You cling to the cross for yourself. You believe he died for your sins. He becomes your savior. You trust his death in your place. You realize you should die for your sins, but he took your place. And you trust and cling to that to the last breath in your body. That's saving faith. You're ready to repent. If you're ready to believe, then, then what will happen is the Holy Spirit will literally join himself to you, marry you. He comes in and he joins himself to you and he never leaves. And you are born again and eternity actually starts right now in your heart. He, a piece of what you've just seen comes inside. The Spirit of God lives in you and prepares you and works with you till the day that you see him in eternal life. Would you bow your heads with me? Anyone today say, Pastor, and here's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to have you raise your hand and then pray with me if you are, are ready to do that. Anyone right now want to say, I, as you pray, Pastor, I'm praying to confess him as my Lord and my Savior. I'm making that decision for myself right now. I won't do anything else to you, but I want to give you that moment to signal that. So who wants to raise your hand and say, that's me. I'm praying with you, Pastor. Yes, praise God. Yes, hallelujah. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Thank you, Lord. Yes, hallelujah. This is the most important moment of our morning by far. These men and women are going to stand with us on that sea of glass and, and dance with us and, know, and have the Lord forever. Anyone else you want to say, I'm, I'm making this decision. Praise God, young man. Hallelujah. I just wait a moment because the Holy Spirit sort of prompts hearts as we wrestle a little bit. It is a decision and it's one you have to make. Right now is a great moment. The Spirit of God is here, and I'm sure he's just saying, it's real, it's true what he's saying. Give in. Give in and just believe. I love you, and I'll take your life in a great course. He will, too. One last call. Anyone else, you want to say, this is my moment. I'm confessing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. You want to lift your hand. Yes, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Savior. Thank you, Lord. 
All right, church. Let's all pray together. You who raised your hands, we're going gonna, gonna to pray just exactly those things. We're going to repent and believe and confess our salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you. And I realize how much you love me. So much that you sent your son to die for my sins. Today I acknowledge I am a sinner. I've lived independently from you. I wanted to decide what was right and what was wrong for myself. I didn't want you or anybody else telling me these things. Today, I bow my knee to Jesus Christ. He's my Lord. He's, he is pure. He is good. He is wise. And I trust Him. So I put my hand in His this day. And I will follow Him wherever He leads me. I will let Him clean my life and change me and make me like Him. I want that. From this day forward, this is not a rebellious heart. It is a child's heart who loves my Heavenly Father. Jesus Christ, I believe that you died on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Today, I believe you died for my sins. Every single one of them. Everything I've ever done. You paid the price. So I would not. I believe you died for what I have not even done yet. All my sins were paid for on the cross. And I will cling to you, Jesus Christ. To the last breath in my body. You are my Savior. And your holiness, your purity, your goodness is covering my life so that all the blessings of heaven are mine. I still have weaknesses. I'll still make mistakes. But I'm covered with your blood. And that changes everything. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my heart. You are my promise. I need your strength. I need your wisdom. I need you to be with me in the hard times of life. Come now. Join me forever. Never leave me for all eternity. I confess now that because I have repented I have submitted to Jesus Christ joyfully as my Lord. And I have believed on his cross and his resurrection. My sins are washed away. I am totally forgiven. I am full of the Holy Spirit. I am a child of God on my way to heaven. Nothing can take me away from him. I will someday stand on that sea of glass and rejoice in all of eternity.
because of this moment and Jesus Christ. I confess it. I mean every word I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, whether you raised your hand or not, may I ask, say this, I believe the next step, the next step is water baptism. I'd like you water baptized. In two weeks, we're going to have a water baptism on a Sunday night. It'll be a, you meet me at 5.30, bring a towel and a change of clothes. I'll talk to you about 30 minutes, tell you what water baptism really under, means. It's dying. It's a symbolic dying with Jesus and rising again. And he asks us to do it. It's his command. And it's a real blessing. Don't worry about it or what your hair will look like. Doesn't matter. You'll love it. And then we just have a sweet time. So water baptism... We have, if you would like it, we have Bibles and I have a little CD I made for new believers back at the Welcome Center. If you just stop by and say, I just prayed with Pastor Steve. Can I have one of those packets? They're all free. They'll just hand you one. We'd love you to have that. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.